Amen. Thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for uh, coming on out and joining us in a summer series. Uh, we're in a series called Prodigal, where we are doing seven weeks on the prodigal son. And uh, it's one of those things where when I announce that I'm going to do two weeks on repentance, you wonder after week one, are people going to show up to hear about repentance? And so I'm thrilled that more than my family showed up today, so that's always exciting. Um, so turn your Bibles to Luke 15 or go to our app. Our app is where you can follow along with the notes, uh, follow along with the message. You can post from there. There, highlight your scriptures from there. Uh, and we're going to be reading from the NIV. I read from the NIV last week. I'm going to do it again this week, and we'll do something a little different next week. Um, has anybody ever gotten your name wrong? <laughs> Apparently a lot. Um, Joe, Joe's in the back. How do you get Joe wrong? It's Joe. But then again, Tim, I called you Eric for like a year. <laughs> Why I called you Eric sounds nothing like Tim. Um, people get my name wrong all the time. Uh, well, this guy at the climbing gym just calls me Boomer. And it, I can't stand that guy now. Um, but uh, there's one guy that called me Steve for a while. I'm like, my name's Dave. He goes, oh, okay, Steve. Like, <laughs> why would I lie about my name? Um, most often I get called Dan. Um, oddly enough, I have followed two, two Pastor Dans in my life. I followed one in kids ministry. I was a kids pastor back in the day. Um, I love that term, back in the day. No one really knows what that means. Uh, but I followed a Pastor Dan there. I followed a Pastor Dan in Midland as a youth pastor, so I've been called Dan a lot. Um, and then this past week, I was invited to join a church staff uh, just for their, they have a monthly staff meeting, but they were bringing in a speaker to kind of speak to pastors. And so I've got a former student on the staff. He's like, why don't you come on over, hear the speaker? And he introduced me as, as Dave, and people heard Blade. Is anybody named Blade in the audience today, just in case? Okay, who names their kid Blade? <laughs> Other than a Marvel character who is a vampire, vampire killer, it's a whole nerdy thing. Um, but I was Blade for the day, which was just so odd. And so even when they got corrected, they're like, no, he's Blade. And so for the rest of the day, have you met Blade? And so I'm just sitting there with like 30 or 40 other pastors, and that's just who I was for the day, which consequently is a lot more exotic than Dave. Dave is very vanilla. All right, this just, just is what it is. And just enjoyed the day uh, with just a bunch of pastors that I don't know, not in my denomination. Just, uh, just they love Jesus and they were wanting just to get better at loving Jesus, uh, loving each other and being better pastors. And uh, there's a speaker that came to speak that day from Australia. Let, can we just admit that regardless of his content, he talks with Australian accent, therefore he is extremely interesting. Uh, so whatever he is saying, it just didn't matter. It was going to be good just because, you know, he's got the accent. And to God be the glory, to God be the glory, not once did I say the words shrimp, shrimp on the Barbie. Not once to God be the glory. My wife will tell you that whenever I hear another accent or, or culture that I want to immediately, I want to connect. My heart is to connect. And she will just say, don't do it. Just, she, she already knows what's in my brain. Don't do it. And again, this past week, met a guy at the climbing gym from Germany. And he's like, I'm from, I'm from Germany. I'm like, I took three years of German. But to God be the glory, did not once try to communicate in German. Not a single word, so he left unoffended. It was wonderful. Just wonderful. But back to my story. We're, we're in, uh, I'm in the east side. We're on Brighton area. And uh, one of the pastors got up to kind of lead off the day. And he begins to talk about 
um, how he wasn't trained to be a pastor originally. He went to college to be a civil engineer, graduated top of his class, and went right into engineering, got hired by a firm. And there he was put in charge of a project, a building, everything that surrounds the building, underneath the building, like this was a big project for a, uh, a college grad. And so he spent so much time making sure everything looked good, that, that this was a pristine looking building outside, everything. And he was so proud of it, so he turned in his project and he made this statement, he's like, I just wanted to be the epitome of what engineering is supposed to be. Basically, I want my engineer firm to thank God that they hired me. I wanted them to feel that good about them hiring me. And she goes, I just wanted them to be impressed. And so I put together this whole proposal. I put all the plans together. I turned it in. And he goes, I knew that they would probably have a few things they want to correct it. They've got to talk with um, the rest of the county and all the things that go into it. And he says, I met with my, with my boss. And he sat down and he had in front of him a packet of paper. And I said, hey, what's that? That's not my proposal. He goes, no, that's my 30 pages of corrections. 30 pages, he said, it took like three hours for him to sit and hear everything that was wrong with his drawings, with his proposals. And his, his boss is like, he was, he's, he was, the boss is stunned at all of the mistakes and things that I missed. And he began to lay out, he's like, listen, if we, if we build and design everything according to your specification, in 10 to 20 years, we will literally have sinkholes on the outside of this building that can actually claim the building itself. And if we go with your designs and the way the water even flows in and out of the building, if this side of the building flushes, it will take away the water pressure from this side of the building. He's like, what did you spend your time on? And they begin to have this conversation. This is what he said. He said, after 30 pages of, of, of corrections, I begin to realize I spent 75% of my time on that which people can see and only 25% of stuff and focus on that which was beneath the surface. He spent a majority of his time fixing what was above the surface and less on what's below the surface. I wonder if that's what's happened within Western Christianity is we've gone into a mode where we want to dress up that which is outside so that everybody can see and we can get as many likes as possible. We want a gospel that makes us look good or feel good instead of a gospel that gets us on the inside that changes us for the good. We've gone into a mode that is there to bedazzle our lives. Remember bedazzling back in the day? Back in, I mean, I'm using that a lot today. Bedazzle your jeans, bedazzle your wallets, that would hurt, uh, bedazzle whatever. I, I'm afraid we've gotten to a Western Christianity version that is there to dress up our lives so that we feel better. But we need a gospel that doesn't, we don't need a gospel that necessarily makes us feel better or necessarily makes us look better, but we need a gospel that gets below the surface of our lives that shakes the things that need to be shaken. Because what we need is not a church that are full of fans of Jesus, we need churches that are full of followers of Jesus because what's going to change the world and what's going to see revival happen is not when we are fans and merely watching Jesus from afar but when we're walking with Jesus and operating with Jesus and we're living like Jesus in order to show the world who Jesus truly is. And that's why we've decided to take a couple weeks and dive into repentance when we're talking about the prodigal son. Let me give you a little bit of recap. Last week we talked about repentance and we said this, that a mark of spiritual maturity is a short time span between sin and repentance. 
That's a mark of spiritual maturity. I've had people say, I'm back, back there, talking with a gentleman uh, this past week. He was talking about his father. His father says he's been serving Jesus for 40 years, but when he started serving Jesus, he stopped sinning. I'm like, can I meet your dad? <laughs> That's amazing. Not once have I thought that I stopped sinning just because I knew Jesus, but I think a mark of spiritual maturity is not necessarily that you never sin, but a mark of spiritual maturity is admitting I'm a sinner and sometimes I do sin, but when I do, I respond with repentance. We also spelled out what repentance is not. We said repentance is not suffering until we're worthy. It's not isolation until we deserve relationships. It's not self-loathing until we feel bad enough. Have you ever had those people in your life that just want you to feel bad about yourself? Well, if he's truly repentant, he's just going to hate himself. That's not what it's about. Repentance does not shame until we truly learned our lesson. And repentance is definitely not giving sin all of the attention. Like there's people that tell their testimony and 95% of it is how much they enjoyed their sin and 5% of it Jesus finally saved them. Repentance is so much more. It is a change of our behavior that changes our direction and it changes our actual behavior. It changes us from the inside out. In fact, the Greek word literally means the change of your mind. Repentance is meant to change our thinking so it changes our actions. We're not here just to dress up your life. We want to get to this place where we feel the conviction of God, not the conviction from Pastor Dave. My job is not to make you feel bad. Some of you think that is my job. That is not my job to make you feel bad. Pastor, when you preach, I felt bad about myself. I'm like, well, that was not necessarily my intention. My intention is that you would open your heart to the Spirit of God. And sometimes the Spirit of God convicts our hearts and shows us things that ought to be straightened out. And the Spirit of God does that because he's not there to punish you. He wants a better life for you. And conviction is there to rescue us out of the life that we think we ought to have and to bring us into the life that Jesus says you should have. It's there to rescue us. And so we're gonna keep diving into repentance today as we just were into week three of our series called Prodigal. And we wanna help you to understand repentance because the goal is more than just to be sorry for sin, but the goal is to get us living a repentant life. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, as long as he doesn't convert it into action, it does not matter how much a man thinks about his repentance. As long as a man doesn't convert it into action. Listen, the, the devil does not mind when you hear about repentance. He doesn't mind you hearing about it. All he wants to do is keep you from putting it into action. He doesn't mind you feeling bad about the sin that you committed. He just doesn't want you to turn your life around and change your thinking. He wants you to think that you can't be rescued, you can't be transformed, and you can't be renewed, which is contrary to the gospel. He wants to, change, he wants to keep you the same. So Luke chapter 15. I'm going to go to verse 11. Jesus said there's a man who had how many sons? Two sons, that's important for you to grasp. I'm gonna keep hitting that every single week because every week I get somebody that says, I didn't realize there was two sons in the story. There are two prodigals. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that, whole, in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to be... Uh, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death, and I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, this is, this is important for today, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So I got up and he went to his father. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus, anoint our, our hearts, anoint our lives. Let every word spoken today be like seed upon good soil. I pray that you would just help us to perceive the direction that you're leading our lives and that we would open our lives up to repentance. Both the conviction of your presence and the confession of our mouths that leads toward lives that are different, transformed, renewed. We don't want to walk away from this place the same way we walked in. We don't ever want to walk away from your gospel the same way that we found it. We want to be transformed and become more like you. So Holy Spirit, into our lives, change us. Make us more like Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, help the Team USA basketball team who just lost to Australia. Goodness gracious, what is wrong with this team? Goodness. The prodigal son here, verse 18, look at, look at his response. The prodigal son recognizes that he has devastated his own life. And what I love about the prodigal son here, I should say the lost son, uh, the younger one, is I love that he doesn't immediately blame anybody. I think that's part of repentance, and we talked about conviction last week. The, a big part of conviction is not deferring your conviction onto somebody else. How many of you know that in some way, shape, or form, you can always blame somebody else for whatever you did? I am a master at blaming anybody for whatever I did. I can twist it in any way and blame my sister somehow, some way. And if, Rachel, if you're watching, you know that's true. I can twist it. And the prodigal son, he doesn't defer it. He owns it. That was last week. And, but look at his response. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. This translation will say one of your hired servants. Now, we, we pointed this out last week. He didn't say make me like a slave. He said make me like a hired servant because a hired servant was a local contractor would have been brought in and he says, listen, get me a job so that I can work for that person and begin to get some sort of standing in the community. Now, the younger son, I love this, he gives a three-point sermon. He simply says, first point, verse 18, I'm going to own my mistakes. I'm going to own my mistakes. Secondly, I'm going to renounce my worth. I've sinned against heaven and God. I am no longer worthy, worthy to be your son. And then thirdly, I'm going to work my way back into the family and into the community. That's his three-point sermon. That, we learned that in Bible college, three points in a poem, for which I don't know if I've ever shared a poem with you ever as your pastor, so sorry for depriving you. Three points. I am renouncing, excuse me, I'm owning my mistake, renouncing my worth, and I will work my way back into the community. Now, this doesn't sound like a bad thing. Some of you are thinking about some of the people who have wronged you in your life. You're like, I would really like them to experience that. That would be wonderful. I would love for them to come to me and own their mistake, to renounce their worth, and then work their way back into my life. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Pastor Dave. Good message. Go and do likewise. But actually, this isn't repentance. This is what we call remorse. And remorse and repentance are totally different. 
This is, and this is why we look at this, we're like, we gotta get under the surface and recognize that God is not after remorse with our lives, he's after repentance. Remorse says, I will own my issues, I will renounce my issues, and then I will work the rest of my life trying to regain back what I've lost. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. Some of you, if you were raised in church in this type of repentant manner, I apologize on behalf of a pastors that the idea that you have to own your sin, renounce that you're worth nothing, and then spend your life trying to get the Father to love you again, that's not the way of Jesus. That's the way the Pharisees in, in, in chapter 15, verse two, that's what they were teaching, that you gotta renounce your worth, own your sin, which sounds good, that's, that's pretty good, but that's so incomplete because you gotta keep doing works and you gotta keep doing works. And I don't know if you've ever worked for something you've never had to work for, but let me tell you this, you don't have to work for Jesus to love you. You don't have to work for the Father to love you. You may not even love Jesus today, but I will tell you this, he loves you. He adores you, the Father adores you, he loves you, and you don't have to work for the thing that you already have. And so when, when it comes to the people and their understanding of repentance, no wonder why people avoid repentance in church or avoid repentance in their life because they think that's what it is. I avoid it because it makes me feel like a nothing. But I'm here to say that here at K-First, we are not after remorse, we're after repentance. We want true repentance. In fact, there's a great book that I've read. I would highly recommend it for anybody. It's called Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. And this is what he says in his book. He says, legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules. While real repentance says, I broke God's heart. It's so deep. But do you see the difference in the father? Because on one hand, one father, you broke my rules. You have to work your life to get me to like you again. The other side says, you broke my heart, but it doesn't compromise my love for you. It's understanding repentance, and, and your approach to God matters. How you term it matters. You can call it remorse, but you're gonna see God in one aspect, but when you call it repentance, you're gonna see God in a whole different aspect because you're gonna see him as a loving father, and the approach matters. In fact, I wrote it this way. God's heart isn't about you working your way to an identity, but working from an identity. God's not about getting you to work towards being a son or daughter again. God, the Father, shows us that when the, when the son is far off, you read it, read it there in verse 19 and 20, that the Father is already looking and he's already running. And even before this guy could ever make anything right, he immediately says, my, what? My son is alive. My son has come back. This guy had no opportunity to make things right. Not any opportunity to make it right. He didn't even get to preach his three-point sermon. And the father already calls him son. It tells me that God wants you, to, wants you to see yourself as a son and a daughter. And you don't have to work for, for an identity. I want you to learn you live from an identity that simply says that I respond this way. I live this way. I operate this way because I am a son and daughter of the Most High. And when we operate in repentance... It helps correct our hearts and to see ourselves through the eyes of God in order for change to be made. In fact, let me give you the five things that confession, that which I believe is part of repentance, that confession and repentance does in the life of a believer. Let me give you these five things. Number one, it causes us to own our own story. 
Or in other words, we take responsibility for your sin. That's important. Number two, it proves our humility that we're not trying to hide anything from God. Some of y'all think you're hiding things from God. God already sees what you're doing, but when we, con- when we confess and we repent before God, it's not giving God any new information, but it does show us that we recognize our own issues. Number three, it shows that we are relying on God's strength to help us change. Number four, repentance allows us to be continually healed. And then number five, it sustains our relationship with God. Now go back to the first three. Go back to the previous slide if you would. Now, this younger son in verses 18 and 19, he seemed like he did the first two. He owned a story and he showed humility. He wasn't trying to hide anything, but that's where he stopped. And that's where we think repentance stops. We feel bad and we said, I'm sorry. But if that's what you think repentance is, you've sold repentance short. Because repentance is more than bringing you to to the place where your pride is breaking. Repentance is actually meant to give you more. Look at what it does. It puts you in a place where you're relying on God's strength to change. Because remorse says you gotta change yourself. Repentance says God welcomes you back and then he empowers your life to see the change that he desires for your life. Go to the next slide. Repentance also allows us to be continually healed. Because how many of you know that when you first, when you first came to Christ, that God didn't perfect your life right there. You had a lot of perfecting to do in your life. Some of you still have a lot more work to do in your life. Jay is the only one to say amen. Thank you, Jay. Number five, it sustains our relationship with God. That the idea of repentance is more, is more than just the idea of I come to Jesus and I repent and that's all I do. But it actually sustains us. And I wrote it this way this week. God calls us to repentance to heal our condition and to restore our position. It's there to heal our condition, whatever sin has has been done and what sin is doing, and it continues to restore our position as a son and a daughter. That's the difference. That's the difference between what the prodigal did in verses 18 and 19 and what Jesus was trying to convey to the people. He's trying to help them understand that remorse will crush you, but repentance raises you. Remorse is there to destroy you. Repentance is there to revive you. And that's why I truly believe that repentance is both an initial and a habitual action. When, let, me, let me describe that a little bit. Repentance is how we come to Jesus. How we initially put our, we, we repent and we put our faith in Jesus. Read it in scripture, that's the order. You repent, you change your thinking, and you put your faith in Jesus. That's the order. And that's how we come to Jesus. But understand that we don't just come to Jesus with repentance, but we actually continue to follow Jesus with repentance. Uh, Philippians chapter two, verse 12, that says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Those words work out means that we are, we're still working on it because God's still working in us and we have repentance as a part of it. And so I was reading a devotional this past week and I came across John chapter 13. I'm going through John. And John chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, it's a great story where Jesus is having conversation with the disciples. And Peter, the loudmouth of the group, says to Jesus, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet because he is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. Now Jesus in this 
passage actually uses the word wash twice, but he uses it two different ways. He first says, Jesus says, uh, if I do not wash you, what this is talking about is a complete washing. And then later he says this, and the one who bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. This is more than just the complete wash. This is now what we might call spot cleaning. Y'all know what spot cleaning is? Um, when, when you've got somebody like me in your life and who cannot, like this morning, I literally spilled coffee on my leg. You, you have to be good with the whole, what, the spray and wash. You gotta have to, you have to do spot cleaning because I, I just have no awareness. I spill on myself, I run into things, I get stuff all over me constantly. It's, uh, I have to, I do a, obviously a shower, but I have to spot clean with my clothes just because of the way that I stain myself. It's just, that sounds weird to say that out loud. But the scripture here says, that there are two types of washing. When it comes to repentance, repentance does two things. Number one, it introduces us to Christ. Titus chapter three, verse five. He saved us not because of the things that we've done, but because of his mercy. And he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So repentance is that initial connection with Jesus and he washes us from head to toe with his presence. And the way that we say it back in the day, there I go for the third time, back in the day, we say we are washed with the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and repentance accepts that washing. But also what I believe repentance does, it does more than the initial wash, it's that second part because Jesus says sometimes you don't need everything washed, you need just your feet washed. You need an area of your life washed. Because I don't know about you, as you're going through the highways and byways of life, there are some times that our attitudes get the best of us. Our mouth gets the best of us. Our heart gets the best of us. Sometimes we slip and we fall and we do things. And it's not that we necessarily need everything rewashed over again, but we need to go into repentance and say, God, today you need to correct something in my attitude. You gotta correct something in my life. I've gotta repent for the way that I thought about somebody, the way that I talked about somebody, the way I posted about somebody. Sometimes we have to do a little little bit of spot cleaning in our life, and that's exactly what repentance does. It helps us to take care of the daily things that build up in our life. And the only way I can connect that is by talking about cleaning out your garage. Now, how many of you know that when you clean out your garage, isn't it true that about two weeks after you've cleaned out your garage, that when you open up your garage to pull your car in, you look inside your garage, and what do you think to yourself? I thought I cleaned this thing out. What, what happened in two weeks? I don't know about you, in the summer, I think we could probably clean out our garages every two to three weeks. One time I'm cleaning out my garage, never clean it out during the neighborhood garage sale day. Because as you're pulling stuff out of the garage, I had people wandering through my stuff asking me for prices on things. And I'll be honest, they ask up a high enough price, it just goes, it's wonderful. But. But sometimes as we have cleaned out our life and we have those encounters with Jesus on a Sunday, it's easy to repent on a Sunday. It is easy to repent on Sundays. But God wants to have such a move in our life that we look at repentance as more than what I do, this is what I do on Sundays, but we can have such a spirit of God awareness in our life that says, you know what, I wasn't at my best today and Holy Spirit, you, you've shown me that. And today I repent from man, I gotta do some spot cleaning in my life. 
I need that second level of washing in my life that just says, Holy Spirit, I need you to change something in me because I wasn't at my best. I wasn't talking my best. I didn't produce my best. I didn't do the things that maybe I could have done or should have done. And it's not because God wants to crush us to make us feel remorse. It's because he's got better ways of living for us. God, help us from being Christians that just get settled and say, God, you just have to work with who I am because that's who I am. God, forgive us for being in that mode instead of saying, God, I don't wanna be who I think I ought to be. I wanna be who you want me to be and that's repentance because we accumulate things throughout the week we accumulate fears thoughts habits and I don't know about you but I don't know Kyle brought up he finally took a shower I really don't know what that meant <laughs> but I don't know about you I I feel like I need a shower every day <laughs> and there are some times that like there are times I've taken a shower and I'm gonna to go to the climbing gym and my wife's like, why are you showering now? I'm like, I just wanna feel clean. And then I get back from the gym, I'm like, ah, maybe I'll just go to bed. She's like, you're not going to bed like that. <laughs> go take a shower. But you know what? There's no greater illustration about repentance than being in the mode that just recognizes that I can get cleaned up. But sometimes when you go out throughout this life, sometimes we have those moments and we need to have such a sensitivity to the spirit that recognizes that we can go prodigal at any point. It's amazing that there are times that one post on social media can make me go prodigal. One attitude at a, at a, at a gym, one phone call at the church, one person cutting me off on Westnitch. It seems like a moment, and that reminds me that repentance is more than just for the one washing. I need to be washed every day. And there's sometimes, it's multiple times a day, Spirit of God, do a work in my life. Because I need you to grasp this, that repentance is not spiritual cosmetics to make you look better. It's about, re repentance is about renouncing our sin and reclaiming your worth. Remorse destroys your worth. Repentance says you're worth more than what that sin has told you you are. Repentance says you're worth more than what that sin is bringing you down to. Anybody can act at the level of sin. Anybody can fall to the level of sin. But I'm asking that the church of Jesus Christ would rise up with hearts of repentance that says we are gonna act the way God has called you and we are gonna, we are gonna reclaim our worth. So every time we repent, I'm reclaiming the worth that I am a son of the Most High. I am a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so my act of repentance is not to squash me it is to lift me up and let me walk in the way that God has called me to live. That's why I challenge every single one of us to live in the way that this younger son missed is to walk in repentance. One of the saddest things, when I started studying this months ago, one of the saddest things about this entire story is that both sons, both sons, the younger one at the beginning, and we'll talk more about the older son next, next uh, week, the saddest thing about this is not every, both of them live with the father, but neither one of them actually understood the father. They lived in the same house. They attended every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, and every day in between. And they never understood the father. And we know that because we see both of the reactions and the responses. 
You see, the father, according to the book of Deuteronomy, you may not know this, if you studied the, 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 the Pentateuch, that's the fancy word for the first five books of the Old Testament, if you studied the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, that the father actually had every right to have his son taken out back and stoned. To have repayment for being dishonored, disgraced, and he could have disowned him and actually had him killed. And yet God wanted to give this image of the heart of the father for those who are lost. He wanted to show love. Worship team, if you can come out and help me out here. Help me close things up. The whole story of the prodigal is to capture the heart of God. And if people say, well, the heart of God is repentance, that sounds quite harsh. It sounds harsh if you think repentance is remorse. But repentance is so much more where we actually, we do experience the conviction power of the Spirit of God. And I'll be honest, conviction never tickles. If conviction does, my guess is you've never felt conviction. Conviction is that confrontation with our own sinfulness. But it's also that confession that recognizes what I have done or what I am doing is wrong. And this is what God has called me to, so my life is now gonna begin to form around that which God has called me into because God has a better life in store for us. Tim Keller shared about a Buddhist story. There's numbers of religious traditions out there that have what you might call versions of their prodigals. And the Buddhist version shares the story that says a son left home and returned years later in rags and misery. His dedication was so profound that he didn't even recognize his own father. But his father recognized him and told the servants to take him into the mansion and then clean him up. And the father, his identity unrevealed, watched his son's response. And gradually, time began to bring changes and the son became dutiful. He became considerate, he became moral. And satisfied with where the son finally rose up to, the father finally revealed his identity and formally accepted his son as an heir. Do you see the difference in the stories? This is the story that the Pharisees, in, in chapter 15, verse two, this is the story the Pharisees would have enjoyed. Let the son suffer a while. Let him get to the place where he actually earned his way back and to be considered an heir, to be considered a son. Let him work his way there. Let, the father re remains a mystery. The father can't be connected to. The father can't be reached. There can't be no relationship until the son finally acts right. But ladies and gentlemen, this is not the gospel. The gospel is so much more than, than just, hey, we are people who are broken. We don't have to talk about that. We know that we're broken, but the gospel is a gospel of hope that says, I recognize my brokenness, but there's hope for that. There's healing for that. There's restoration for that. And we don't have to work our way into the Father's love. A Father's love is already there. And it's ready to pull you out and ready to walk you through. And he doesn't kick you when you're down. He raises you up. And what I love about the Father's love is he walks with you. Remember the song we used to sing years ago? He walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you you are his own. Woo! That's the Father that we get. And that's why I think repentance is so beautiful. It's not there to squash you. 